0: Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dun Laoghaire, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night, and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
0: Hello and welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin. Today we are going to talk about The Beatles Anthology and we envisage a couple of podcasts scattered throughout 2020 looking at this 1995 project because amazingly it's 25 years since The Beatles Anthology came out and at the time It was heralded as 25 years since the Beatles had split. So we're kind of at a a recurrent point in time to to have a little look at the Beatles anthology. So today we're going to look at the road to... The Beatles anthology going into production and how that happened and what made it happen. Um, broadly speaking, I'm a big fan of the Beatles anthology. I think it's a, a great document, and I'm glad it happened. Are you the same, Stephen? Yes,
1: yes. Uh, I mean, both at the time and now. It's a, it's a document that, that that documentary that I go back to. and yeah. Dip into. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've watched it all the way through. Sort of episode one through to the end but it is a great uh, to, to dip into And certainly episodes.
0: at the time it was the, again purely accidental it was a great moment of timing to get it out in 1995 Yes, yes. But as we're about to discuss today there was a <laughs> a long and winding road ho ho I see what you did there to, to get it to get it to the general public Um So let's let's have a little look at uh, this part one of our anthology podcasts and look at the uh, the road to anthology. And it's interesting because it actually predates, you know, 25 years. It, it seems to go back to about 1968 mm. when Apple has been set up. Uh, we're in the post-Brian period and Dennis O'Dell is involved in, in trying to set something up. Isn't that
1: right? Yeah. So he's he's been brought in uh, as the head of Apple Films. So at this point, Apple as a concept, you know, you've got Apple Electronics, Apple Music, Apple Tailoring, Apple Publishing, Apple this, Apple that. I think there was going to be an Apple school at one point. Um, so the film uh, uh, side is headed up by Dennis O'Dell. And he is given the task of basically creating an archive, uh, collecting together newsreel, footage, uh, interviews,
0: just the history of the band. Mm. And it's it's kind of quite You know, foresightful when you think about it, because they they'd they'd done the Hunter Davies biography, which they may or may not have been happy with, and this was another way of trying to get a grip on their history and their legacy. uh, While they're still very much an active band, yeah. So, so, so
1: the the Hunter Davies book is, you know, Lennon in particular was always very critical that it Mm. was a bit of a whitewash. It was it was a, a sort of sanitized. Version, and it's tempting to uh, speculate that this was the band saying, Well, you know, we've got the book, we've got that official version, that sanitized version we can tell this story ourselves yeah. through, through the medium of television and uh, do a documentary.
0: Yeah. And so they start to amass, as you say, footage from around yeah. the world and realizing the value in some of this stuff that perhaps people didn't have. And they had a, I think their film archive was in Boston Place in London. Yes. There's, there's a bit in Anthology 2 where Paul sings When I Was a Robber in Boston Place. And he's obviously singing that song to the Apple archive
1: <laughs> nah, he's so talented Paul. He, he just he has he's, so many things on so his so musical <laughs> it just
0: comes spilling out um, but we start to get an official word they, they, you know, this isn't something that they're doing in secret uh, that it starts to get discussed uh, publicly that this is something that the Beatles are doing and it kind of starts to fall under the remit of Neil Aspinall so even though Apple is undergoing a lot of flux and Alan Klein is coming yep. in in 69 in 1970 Neil Aspinall is still talking about this documentary
1: Yes, I mean uh, Aspinall is is one of the people that sort of survives the Klein clear out, yes. uh, and uh, you know he he is the kind of trusted uh, insider. But but yes, this, this, this is an official project. It is being talked about. Uh, it is uh, well known that that this is being done and that they're amassing this. Uh, and at one point, I think there's some uh, confusion about the Let It Be film and this film archive project uh you know what they're gathering footage for. But it's definitely it's it's it's, it's on the official uh, Apple project list.
0: Yeah and I think Neil says something in the about nineteen seventy to say, oh well, we'll just get the Let It Be movie out, out of the way, the way first. And, yeah. and um then you know we're gonna try and you know get the movie out after that. And it's also reported in uh, the Beatles Book Monthly is still being published in nineteen seventy and in October nineteen seventy, you know, they're still talking that oh there might be a Christmas release date yep. for this. Movie. Um, but I suppose the main thing that happens in the end of 1970 is that there's Paul's legal court case. He just ruins everything. <laughs> and even though the Beatles are in a state of flux, for them to kind of go into a, a state yeah. of legal flux, the project kind of gets shelved at the end of 1970 uh, and doesn't really come to pass.
1: No. Uh, so yeah, I think that that the kind of the legal one of the fallout uh, pieces of fallout from, from that split is this movie just is shelled
0: yeah um, but then it once the first round of legal uh, issues are over or I suppose once Alan Klein starts to move away it does sort of bubble up again and it's mentioned a couple of times in the 70s that this and I suppose it's worth saying Neil Aspinall I'm sure if you're listening to this you probably know who Neil Aspinall is but he's you know confidant of all four Beatles he drove the van back in the early days he ran Apple uh, until the 21st century he you know stayed true to the Beatles and yep. fought for the Beatles all the way through and you know when we think about the Beatles anthology his name is on it his fingerprints are on it it's the thing he really wanted to that he fought for for all these
1: years absolutely and I mean I think the, the, the key thing about Aspinall is that he he remained on good terms with everyone yeah so he was the, he was at the center of so whenever you know John and Paul weren't speaking or, or uh, Paul and George weren't speaking uh, Aspinall seems to be the sort of the, the central figure about around which all of this was sort of happening and all of this was revolving. So he is he is the sort of uh, the one that they all seem to uh, to trust.
0: And whether it's kind of a, a personal uh, interaction or a business interaction, he is protective, and he is very concerned with legacy yes. and not diluting the Beatles and not you know, he was the person who for years seemed to put a stop to, you know, multi-disc box sets or yep. the Beatles going to mid-price and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. He he constantly put a premium on the Beatles. They seem to have given him a
1: degree of autonomy as mm-hmm. well. You know, he, he seems to and we'll see this when we go on to talk about the, the the actual anthology project, y- you know, he had a say. He, yeah. His his input and his advice was was valued.
0: Yes, and he had trust, which is a yep. very hard commodity to yep. get from one beetle, yet alone four beetles.
1: Exactly. So what, what we have is that sort of period of 1970, 1971 into 72, where, uh, uh, you know, relations particularly between Paul and John are at a low ebb, mm. Then they start, you know, they have a meeting at which they decide, you know, look, let's stop sniping at each other in the press and yeah. uh, let's just dial it down a bit and we've got to kind of get past this um, so that sort of takes us into 1972 and at the end of 1972 this project starts to be talked about again yeah. uh, as as surfacing and up to this point it's been called the Long and Winding Road, road. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the end of 72 it's called Ten Years in the Life of the Beatles or some, something like that. Yeah. So they're moving away from the Long Winding Road. Uh, and
0: there was an interesting Ten Years of the Beatles campaign at that time. Even yes. I were, with all the solo Beatles, were kind of running a, a Ten Years of the Beatles. So it, it would have made sense that that might have been an well, idea th- that it would it, get yes, wrapped into that.
1: It is that 73, 74, particularly in America with yeah. the 10th anniversary of the Ed Sullivan show. Uh, Capital, where w- there was an upswing in, uh, I suppose that's really the first upswing after the split is the Red and Blue albums coming out, yeah. the the 10-year the campaign from Capitol. Uh, so so it seems to be in, in that, against that background.
0: And even though John is over in New York at the time, it's on his radar as well. So he talks about it in... A, he's on the Today Show in 1974, at the end of 74, and he talks yep. about that there's a film coming in with... Uh, I think he refers to it as The Long and Winding Road, doesn't he? Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's this thing that's bubbled around in the background, but there's all this legal issue about what the Beatles are what Apple is what exists what doesn't exist and so in 1975 legally the Beatles don't exist anymore they signed the paperwork and Apple as a filmmaking entity doesn't exist anymore it exists as a as a as a business company, yeah, and as a company but Apple Studios closed I think maybe that uh, Son of Dracula might have been the last Apple film the last, ever?
1: the last great uh, have you ever seen that no I've seen I've seen bits of it uh, it's available in, in little sections on YouTube yeah, I'm I, not cu- sure I couldn't
0: this. watch the whole thing it's, uh, as, as much as it includes people I love like Harry Nielsen and Ringo Starr uh, telling the story of Dracula it is a hard watch better than Broad Street well I've watched Broad Street yes. Uh, so I'd take Broad Street any day day. you know because the music is so good you know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so in 75 uh, you know Apple Apple Studio closes they stop making films but Neil keeps working on this documentary and he starts incorporating things like home video footage and footage from India and uh, it seems that you know at the end of 76 or so he has a working version that he sends to the Beatles
1: yes and there's, there's, there's clearly work has been done on this it's not just Sticking clips together, no. there, 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 there is, you know, it is, it is coming together, yeah, uh, as a, a, a with a, a sort of a narrative flow to it.
0: Yes, and so you know, the, 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 this is an idea that refuses to to go away. And you know, the, towards the end of the seventies, you know, there's you know Apple is having board meetings to discuss what's going to happen next um apparently directors are scouted this
1: is this is this is McCartney is saying uh, I've heard him say you know that they contacted uh various directors uh, you know the the Ridley Scott the Spielbergs the Scorseses just you know, you know <laughs> uh, as you would uh to see if they were w- would be interested in coming in uh, yeah. to do this and it's it, it is interesting when you when you sort of think that was back at the end of the seventies. Yes. And but then that's the sort of approach that was taken by Scorsese in the Dylan yep. uh, No Direction Home or the, the, the Harrison Living in the Material World. Yep. Where you get a director in to sort of marshal what you've got, what you've got, yeah. about existing clips. It's not a, di- it's not a director in the sense of uh, a traditional sort of movie making, and it's interesting that that's what they were thinking of at that time. This is what we need is an actual director of the stature of Spielberg or Scorsese or Ridley Scott to come in and sort it out. Look at this night It's not clear to me why that didn't progress. So yeah. you've got this period where. Aspinall in 75, is, is, is go, got his working draft, if you like. Mm. Uh, within the next couple of years, McCartney is saying, well, we did look around. We were trying to get someone to do this. Uh, but I don't know why it didn't.
0: Because even right before his death, doesn't Lenin in a deposition talk about the fact that, you know, we're going to do Beatles activity and this kind of stuff, which seems yeah. to be alluding to this documentary and the fact that it's going to involve the Beatles getting back together yeah. in some form again.
1: And I think, I mean, I think, you know, you've got to be very sceptical of about, why he said, that. Why he said yeah. that. That was in the context of, of, of trying to shut down other people exploiting the Beatles yes. games. That, well, you can't do that because, you know, we, we, we are... Going to go out and exploit our name again. But It wasn't well.
0: totally untrue. There was th- it was in the. Ether. There was clearly
1: it was in the background that yeah. there was the, 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 there was something there, but uh, it just I don't have any information and haven't been able to find any information about that kind of three yes. four year period up to, to Lennon's death as to why why it didn't happen.
0: And so, if you kind of look at the seventies, you know something we've talked about before is that the Beatles kind of had to learn how to. Anthologize themselves, or how to retrospectively, you know, work on their legacy, whether they wanted to or not, or what that legacy meant. Mm. And it, 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 in the seventies, people did start to look upon, you know, this kind of rock and roll revolution yes. about something that was worthy of critical discussion. And this was a thing that happened, and what it meant. And you kind of look back at well, what was what was doing the job of a long and winding road type documentary in the seventies? And there's a couple of things that kind of come to mind. You know, one is uh, the all you need is love. Uh, Tony Palmer Tony Palmer yeah which kind of puts a very serious slant on rock and pop and soul music
1: yes that's a that's a that's a show I remember watching as it aired well, yeah. I think it was kind of late it was a kind of weird thing that television was in the <laughs> at that period it, that went out I think from memory uh, in the UK uh, late night Saturday you know 10 o'clock yeah and you think that, that's a weird uh, uh, time to be sitting down to to, you you know, for the, the the target audience, you imagine would all be out uh, yes. clubbing or going, you know, selling each other drugs on street corners. But uh, <laughs> but I remember, and, and I bought it was that was re released uh, a few years ago on DVD. Yes. and I bought that, and that's a fantastic watch. It's I mean, it's 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 a very, it's a completely different pace. It's a very leisurely uh, unfolding of the story. Yeah, and um, I, I have to say, it's clearly. We maybe touch about uh, the Ruttles documentary, yeah. but it is clearly the Ruttles documentary is a parody of that style. That style of presenting in a raincoat with a microphone. with a microphone chasing yeah. after a, a you know a lorry up the street. But uh, it, it's clearly this very slow, leisurely academic approach
0: yeah and we might, we'll come back to our friends the Ruttles, in a minute but we might actually just talk about the long and winding road itself because last year when we had a friend of the show Mark Lewison in I sort of asked whether the long and winding road was out there and I yes. was told yes it is of course Everybody's call yourself a Beatles it. fan haven't you <laughs> seen it and then very kindly a listener to the show sent me somehow a, a copy of it I don't yeah. know how that happened but thank you John that yes. was great
1: yes thank you John he, uh, sent, me, he sent me a copy <laughs> as well
0: <laughs> and so I sat down and for the first time I watched a late 70s work print of of The Long and Winding Road which seems to have been dubbed onto a, a VHS cassette and it is interesting. Yes. It is definitely, as you say, a work print of something that it's not just edited together. There's a bit of thought to it but at the same time there's no narrative. No. And it's all chronological uh, st- uh, structure of telling of the stories, so, yep. and the, the, and there's no interviews.
1: There's no interviews. It's just, uh, but but they have uh, you know, the Shea Stadium clip where yep. they're kind of superimposing the band ac- a- a- across the audience. Yes. And, uh, it it it's, it's there, and there were little bits in there that I hadn't seen before. Yes. Uh, little interview clips from later on in the career, and but it but it it is all there in the sense that it's just moving the story forward. Yes.
0: Uh, and so I've kind of just written in a quick lineage of what happens mm-hmm. in the movie. So it kind of opens with the Liverpool montage from the Yellow Submarine cartoon yes. and then goes straight into the Some Other Guy cavern footage that we've seen loads yep. of times. There's a little bit of an interview with um, Brian Epstein talking about seeing them in the cavern. And it, that's the first of the bits you see that carry through into the anthology. There yes. are little bits in The Long Winding Road and you're like, that is just copied and pasted into mm-hmm. the anthology in 1995. Um, and then there's footage from Love Me Do, George talking about Mac Shadow and that footage of how long are we going to last, we don't know. We don't, we don't know. know what's going on and all the rest. Um. Uh, and then there's footage from the first US visit to, to you know that film to show they're their, their touring around the US and then for Ed Sullivan they show I Want to Hold Your Hand not All My Loving which I thought was really uh, that weird
1: was, yes that was strange because you, you, you sort of think if, you're, if you were pitching this at the American audience yes. All My Loving is, is the song yeah. that
0: has the most resonance yeah. uh, and then it kind of skips from it, then the, the chronology goes off a bit it kind of skips into yesterday the Backpool big night out footage of yesterday, so it kind Fun. of skips from sixty four to sixty five, and then skips back. Uh, it shows loads of footage of them doing their Shakespeare skits, which is yeah, odd.
1: that was uh, that that, that <laughs> I, I watched that thinking, why have we got so much of this? Is this you 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 imagine that's something they hated doing? Yeah, yeah, uh, or certainly wouldn't want
0: to dwell. <laughs> on. Uh, and then it goes back to like a hard day's night movie. There's a bit of Jimmy Nickel in there, um, but you know, chronology goes over the place then it jumps forward to the Help movie and it shows uh, um, one bit that I found really interesting is when they're telling the MBE story did you notice this that uh, there's some footage of a marching band outside yes. Buckingham Palace and, and what they're playing is the Liberty Bell footage which is the theme tune to Monty Python's yep. Flying Circus yep. so you're watching this documentary and it up comes that famous Monty Python theme tune I wonder whose idea that, that was, was. Yeah. Um, but yeah the, the Monty Python music is playing in the middle of this while they're discussing uh, hanging out with Hermage and um, and uh, you know, getting their their awards. The Help movie doesn't play the Help song, which is odd. The first George Harrison song they play on it is "I Need You," so nobody's sitting at home with a stopwatch saying, "Who's getting exposure?" Who's getting the or, most time? Who's g Yeah. Um, and then the, the words "Christ" appear on the screen, and they jump straight into the KKK footage. Again, a very familiar piece yeah. of footage from the anthology where that guy is being interviewed. Well, there's some surprises in it. So we we yeah. Um, Uh, And uh, in the universe of the long and winding road, they don't cover rubber sole, they don't cover revolver at all no they just totally skip they do the movies they skip those late <laughs> late 65 66 albums that, that, that uh, made no sense it. because yeah.
1: they have we, you have uh, particular you know you've got you've got Paperback Rider you've got Rain you've got you've got promo films uh, f- f- for those two periods yeah um, so that, that seemed an odd yes omission but there
0: is stuff where they're showing split screen footage and it's obviously been edited together and planned and put put Put, put, put it way in a thoughtful way you know? well
1: if you think if you think about what was happening when this started in 69 70 it was uh, the Woodstock yep. movie which really pioneered that yes, split yes, screen yes. Uh, idea of, of you know you had this building the stage while Crosby, Stills and Nash are playing and you've got and that that was obviously very cutting edge I yeah. suppose in the early 70s.
0: He was involved in the editing of the Woodstock film. So well, there you go. go. Um, uh, and then there's a brief clip of How I Won the War and that kind of leads into the second part. It goes into the Strawberry Fields Forever video.
1: That, that completely took me by surprise. That's a nice Because you, you're, suddenly, you're suddenly watching it and then suddenly there's pictures of Germans and bombing yeah. season, and Nazis and I thought I'll be back at the kind of Liverpool <laughs> start of anthology yeah. uh, thing. That, that took me by surprise. It took me a minute before suddenly Roy Kinnear appears <laughs> you know. figure out what's going on
0: yeah. um, so they show us the Strawberry Fields Forever video not the Penny Lane video but they do have footage from the um, A Day in the Life video and then All You Need Is Love is kind of split screen with mm. Maharishi and that kind of introduces the Maharishi they show Hello Goodbye but with some of the footage from Flying yes. which is odd uh, and then they show loads of Magical Mystery Tour clips which is fair enough. And then they show a big chunk of Blue Jay Way, obviously a toe-tapper yes. for the kids at home. <laughs> uh, and then there's some more footage that people know quite well. If you follow the Beatles, the Apple Boutique News footage of people milling around and the footage from the music documentary where they're doing Hey Jude in the studio. Um, but that's actually a good edit. They take that music footage and they mix it with the David Frost footage and they, yes. they give a good kind of montage Yes, of hey Jude. that was well
1: done. And yeah. that's why I say it does, it does betray the fact that Y- y- you know there is a creative element to this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then they have the David Frost Revolution clip. They have the some clips from the Apple uh, documentary. Dick James being interrogated by John and Paul. That kind of famous clip that, where they're that, giving him a hard time. It really is it's uncomfortable. It really is. But yeah. it's totally knowing what happens next, it's even worse. So if you haven't seen this clip, it's taken from a uh, 20-minute film that was made in 68 about the Apple organization. And Paul and John are in a meeting with Dick James, their publisher, who they believe is not after, is not after their best intentions. And, um, you know, they're kind of anxious about getting control of their songs not losing control of their songs and Dick James is saying I'm not going to do anything I'll never let you down I'll never <laughs> let you down everything's fine and as we know the following year he sells Northern Songs to Lou Grade and that is a, a, a scar that haunts Macca to this day then there's some great footage from uh, Let It Be which I don't remember seeing again uh, or, or seeing before which is the, the, do you know the footage of John making plans to meet Alan Klein for the first time Yeah.
2: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: So it's really, it's, it's, it's some of the standard footage you know from Let It Be, mm-hmm. but you actually see John making the plans to meet to make that first fateful, fateful meeting yeah. with Alan Klein the following Monday night and he's like oh I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in and meet him and the music that plays straight after Alan Klein is summoned is I've Got a Feeling yeah. <laughs> yeah. so there's some very subtle editing and fun going on um, and then there's footage of Yoko and Paul and Linda getting married and Ringo's rowing a boat promoting the Magic Christian And what's interesting is at the end of the movie, John brings in, oh, there's three of us writing now. George is losing out. That kind of narrative that we... Kind of came up again last year. Yes, I Abbey was going to say
1: that ahead. really is sort of emerging last year in the context of Abbey Road. That, yeah. that you, you know, when it's time to do something, we know that it's time to do something. And now there's three of us writing and, and you know, we, yeah. all, we all fight. But he, he kind of rather disingenuously is saying, you know, uh, we, we take it in turns. So we, we do my track and then we do Paul's track and then we do George's track, which is nothing of the sort.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> so.
0: so, and then it ends with the something video and they play the end over placeholder credits lifted from Magical Mm. Mystery Tour. So it's interesting. It's definitely a work in progress. It's not a finalised thing. But it certainly couldn't have gone out in that form. And there was was two things that it kind of reminded me of. One was in 1978-79, The Who put out The Kids Are All Right. Yes. Which is an interesting kind of comparison because The Kids Are All Right is, uh, you know, it's a a retrospective film of clips of The Who in performance from about 1964 up to stuff that was specially filmed in 77, 78. '78, And um, when it was in production, Keith Moon was alive and he saw the final cut and by the time it came out, he had uh, sadly died. So it kind of became a a different thing by the time it hit the cinemas. Mm. But it certainly grabs that notion of uh, you know, we're gonna tell the story through performance. Yeah. And the kids were all right. I had a guy called Jeff Stein directing it and he was a super fan who said, No, I can do this and, you know, perhaps had a different view to someone like Neil Aspinall who's trying to put things in a linear order. Uh, you know, maybe that was the notion of calling in a Scorsese or a Spielberg was to get the editing right, get the dynamism right. Yeah. What is that you know, do you have to tell a true story or are you trying to tell a different entertaining story?
1: I, I think that's the thing. It's not it isn't clear. Yeah. Uh you know the work the work in progress cut uh that that you and I have seen it's it's neither just a s- selection of clips nor is it a finished narrative or is it it's something in between as yeah. if it can't quite decide um and maybe it just is literally just a guide to say well look this is what you could do or this is yeah. what you might want. The kids are all right. I watched that again. This week, and uh, that's that's a fantastic piece of work. It is a great piece of work, Um, and uh, it's 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 interesting that it sort of takes you. You you can see the evolution of the band without the narrative, without interviews, without. But even without it being strictly chronological, and without it being chronological, but you can see you can just see the development of the band. I mean, it's quite absolutely kind of quite depressing towards the end and the, the, the sort of, especially, you know, Keith Moon is clearly in bad shape yeah. and, um, but it tells a story and it tells the story of the band without, as you say, interviews or without necessarily being a linear.
0: And when it was being made, the band were around, they were yeah. alive and active and they had started their own film division. Mm. So they were trying to get product into the cinemas that would make them money and they apparently found, the, f- the kids are all right, The Who found it a very funny film. They thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when they first saw the working cut, they were just apparently in stitches on the floor just laughing at themselves.
1: Well, this is the idea also, what's the motivation for doing this? Is the motivation for doing this to make some cash? Yeah. Is the motivation to simply get ownership and pull together uh, you know, those clips and those arcs so that, they, that Apple own it, that the Beatles own it, yeah. or that the Who in there own it? Or is it to present a particular version of the story you know, the official version, yeah. this is the way it is, and push the narrative. Um, you, you, I didn't get a sense watching The Kids Are All Right that they were particularly pushing a, 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 a narrative or trying to get a story out yes. there or, or a version of the band. It, some of it is quite, I uh, say that, you know, if I had been in the band, I might not have been too happy about some of that latter footage being included but they do mm-hmm. be quite happy um, but maybe uh, say all three of those things come into play um, yeah. but as you say with Aspinall it's clearly this curating the legacy was his uh, his driving force.
0: And so the other thing we, I noticed watching uh, The Long Winding Road is the influence on the Ruttles. so famously yes. George Harrison gave a copy of a working print maybe this working print yep. of the Rutles or of The Long Winding Road to Eric Idle yep. uh, in preparation for the Rutles and there's one or two bits that if you weren't knee deep in Beatles lore you know in the ruttles they mightn't have made immediate sense the big one being John and Paul being interviewed in the white suits for Apple yes. which is lifted straight, straight into the ruttles. yes <laughs> and you know when you see it in The Long and Riding Road you know Eric Idle must have seen that whenever I was 77, 78 and gone oh I'm having that
1: I'm having that it's, it's and, and also the clip of them uh, uh, talking about Epstein's death, yes, where, where the Rottels are kind of you know were shocked and stunned, yes. And if you look at the footage of Lennon and Harris, they are completely stunned. They yeah. are completely in shock, yeah. and yet they're having to step outside and have microphones, you know, shoved in their noses, saying, "Right, well, how do you feel? Your yeah. manager just died. What were you going to do? And was how when did you last speak to him? And what did Maharishi say to you? And it's a, it's an incredibly intrusive thing, yes. Um, but yet, Idol is able to take that and make that. Hilarious, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, a really sort of kind of tragic, poignant moment, but yet he can find the humor in that and uh,
0: make it work. Yeah. And so Lennon's death kind of holds things, slows things down a little bit. Yeah. Um, But then in 1982, another thing appears, which perhaps tries to do the job for Apple, and that's a documentary called The Complete Beatles. C O M P L E A T Beatles just so I get that out there which uh, I remember in the early 80s mid 80s was kind of a video stalwart mm-hmm. it was always on VHS cassette yeah. and it's an interesting documentary it's difficult to get a viewing of it's it, is,
1: it is I watched it on YouTube it's all broken up into yeah. to little, little bits and it won't it's not sort of in chronological order you have to kind of Watch it in ten minutes. Yeah, I found a very
0: blurry Spanish subtitle version on Vimeo. Oh, right, uh, on, but
1: the one I had was sort of Japanese. Japan. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: is, it is, and I, I, I said I do remember it being around. It is a sort of about a hundred minute documentary. Mm. Um, uh, and amazingly, they have the rights for the songs and for certain types of clips in it. That's that. What was surprising to me, as yeah. you're
1: used these days, you're used n- to everything being locked down. Yes, everything is locked down. But but uh, you know, 1982. Clearly, these things were available,
0: and and there are talking heads being interviewed in this—not the group talking heads, but various various people from the time. None of the Beatles,
1: none of the Beatles. But that that was actually the most interesting aspect yes. of this for me. Was, was uh, you know normally you, you sort of think well the most interesting period is going to be post sixty six. That's the yeah. sort of really interesting aspect. But it's the talking heads from uh, Jerry Marsden, yeah, uh, Tony, uh, Tony Sheridan. Tony Sheridan looks. Fantastic! He sure, looks like some kind
0: of wizard. He looks like, he's, he's like
1: he reminded me of Richard Richard Harris. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, so it looked as if it was a, a maybe from the late seventies that this, this interview had been done. Uh, but Alan Williams, Jerry Mars, Tony Sheridan, Bill Harry, all of those characters yeah. from the early days. Yeah of the career
0: and it, it talks a good bit about Hamburg and it has Horst Fascher, yes uh, the, the German promoter is interviewed as well and he's yes. talking quite openly about prostitutes that they were hanging out with and all that work yep. they were doing. so it's certainly not sanitised and, uh, you know, they, they give a lot of weight to that pre-fame Hamburg yes. era. And they really draw it out very, very well. They really well.
1: do. That, that, that's the aspect of it that I really like. The other thing I, I, that, that we should say is they have uh, Malcolm McDowell is the narrator. Uh, narrator. And yes. at first I had forgotten that. And when I started to listen to it, I thought, that's Derek Taylor.
0: Oh, right, he, right, right. He,
1: he, the, he, the voice really, I don't know whether he was deliberately... Uh, kind but it is
0: very serious. I mean, it's very much like the world at war. Oh, it's, it's, the, it's a bit what it's like. It's yeah. like,
1: this is important. The, and op- here's the, the opening line is, poets of a generation... Heroes of an era. Yes. you know it's very portentous. Yeah, I mean, it, it's this is important. You've got to listen to.
0: But it, it is written in a very economical, fact-filled yep. way, and it does follow the story chronologically. And uh, there's a couple of things you could you could kind of pull out of it that that, that, that perhaps doesn't get right. Yeah. But it gets a lot of things it's, it's, right than wrong.
1: It is, yes, and it's a very. I think it's a very good template, and yeah. if, if people can put up with
0: watching it in 10
1: minute segments I, I, I <laughs> recommend that you, you seek it out
0: there's a couple of inconsistencies so I so said there's, there's some great people interviewed for it um, the thing must have been a rights nightmare because they have footage of Ed Sullivan introducing the Beatles but again uh, they don't show any of the Beatles Ed Sullivan performance mm. they, they they play the recording of All yes. My Loving over a screaming audience yep, yep. and they kind of get around it that way uh, but they do have footage say from the Washington concert that they played at the start of 64 and there's some inconsistencies where they show a copy of Rubber Soul with the UK track listing but Revolver with the US track listing. It doesn't, but it does follow, it doesn't talk about US albums. It's interesting like
1: if, it. you, if if we think about the fact that as, as far back as 1968, Dennis O'Dell is trying to buy up yes. and gather in. Yeah. How much stuff in 1980, 81, 82 when this was being put together, how much stuff was still Available there. and out there yeah. for for use for exploitation.
0: But then again, when they come to talking about Magical Mystery Tour in the Complete Beatles, there's only stills. Yes. There's no clips because obviously that is Apple owned yes. and Apple controlled. So they're not able to to get to that. But there is there was one or two interesting bits from the interviews. They've they've Lenny Kaye, who's the you know journalist, musician, chronological yep. you know, compiler of nuggets, and he's very much in the praising of Sergeant Pepper mode. We're still in that. We're still thing in that. We a, talked yep, about in the Sergeant yep. Pepper episode where. It's, you know, this is the greatest album of all time, the greatest album that will ever be, and that is what he's trying to get across. And probably, uh, there, there was two really poignant bits Now, One is Marianne Faithful talks about uh, the weekend that uh, Brian Epstein mm. died. Yeah. And she frames it in the way of they were away in Bangor learning to be individuals with the Maharishi. And just at the moment where they learned to be individuals, Brian died. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> she's, she's poetic. She is poetic. Yeah, and she's taking yeah. it you know, very seriously. And it's a, it's a it's very striking interview. And the other bit I really liked was um, Billy Preston is interviewed. Yes. And he turns around on the piano and just says, yeah, I played the solo. And it goes like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he plays the get back solo on a piano. And it's just absolutely fantastic so it's so, but it's an interesting piece because you know it does tell the story it does have great clips it does have the rights to the actual music it was directed by a chap called Patrick Montgomery and the film was uh, produced by Delilah Films and Electronic Arts and uh, uh, MGM UA picked it up for home video rights and actually did get a cinema release in 1984 yeah. as well but it does have this very serious portentous historical and you're thinking man the Beatles have only split up 12 years ago yes that, but and that's
1: <laughs> the other thing man. it's only
0: 12 years ago and they're taking it so yeah. seriously but it's it's They just go to this point about talking about legacy that this is what they were trying to to do you know Uh, what they were trying to get across apparently and we've debated you and me whether this is true or not we don't see the movie these days because it's owned by somebody yes supposedly Paul McCartney Bought, bought the rights. Yes, and he bought the rights in the early 90s in order to get it out of the way for uh, the main anthology event. Yeah. And that's something that's said on IMDb and Wikipedia. It must be true then.
1: Yes, I, I'd, I'd like somebody to, to be able to confirm that because it's also talked about it did get a Laserdisc hmm. uh, release. Well, you think if it had a Laserdisc release, that would, would be better... Quality footage on YouTube. <laughs> that is true. Yes, uh, perhaps perhaps John, our source, can confirm whether uh, uh, this is true.
0: So something that I think is interesting as the eighties progress. Is that uh, you know people start to eulogise and chronicle you know the sixties because they are further away, mm. and they chronicle they chronicle you know the Beatles and John Lennon because John has died. Uh, and there are two things that happen at the end of the eighties. We get the Imagine John Lennon documentary, which we don't need to go into, but it's a cinema release documentary yeah. that is a big hit on home video. It's a ninety-minute John Lennon documentary, directed by Andrew Salt, and you know done under the um, the uh, supervision of Yoko Ono, and it has a successful soundtrack, which has Beatles songs and John Lennon solo songs on it, and is a very. It's, we start to get an idea of how these things can be done. Yes. Uh, and then the second documentary that's perhaps less celebrated but is still kind of important is the 1989 Paul McCartney put it there documentary. That's over to you. <laughs> well, no, this is, look, this is just a documentary slash puff mm. piece to to yep. go with the uh, Flowers Flower in the Dirt in the album. Yep. So before Paul had set off on touring, it's a, an hour long plus TV special of clips and performances and a bit of history um, promoting Flowers in the Dirt. But it's interesting because it's put together by people who would come on board to make... Um, the Beatles Anthology so yep. mainly uh, Chips Chipperfield and Jeff Wanfer, who are the producer and director who work on Put It There who get the job of producing and directing The Beatles Anthology
1: and the other th- the other thing about that Flowers in the Dirt tour yes. is the uh, there was an opening film mm-hmm. which I think I'm right in saying was directed by Dick Lester oh right and uh, that was uh, footage uh, from right across McCartney's career. You know, they the, so used have Beatles clips, and because again, I remember at the time, uh, I saw I saw one of the London shows on that too, That was the first time I'd, I'd seen McCartney, and um, you watched all of this footage and all of these Beatles performances, and then he took to the stage and opened, I think, with with uh, maybe Figure of Eight.
0: Right, yes. Uh,
1: uh, and you said it was slightly anti anticlimactic <laughs> after. But, but but again, he, he was kind of locked into that, uh, tapping back into that Beatles legacy. And that's a, that was really the period where he is starting to, uh, you know, the percentage of Beatles material in yes. his live shows is increasing. Yeah, he's point.
0: touring for the first time yep. in 10 years and it's a Beatles-heavy show. Yep. And he's ending with the Abbey Road Medley, which he still yep. does today. Yeah, And that kind of leads to the last... Bit of the path towards anthology. So there's, there's probably about three events that happen in the late 80s, early 90s that kind of lock this thing down. Uh, and we'll talk about them individually. There's the the settlement, legal settlements with the Beatles. There's Paul. There's George's financial situation. Mm-hmm. And then there's just general passage of time and life. Yes. So, so the first issue is, you know, the Beatles in 1989 finally sort out their legal issues yes don't they? they these are things that have gone on for a long long time
1: the override
0: the override <laughs> well we've talked before about you know Paul had this override where in the late 70s he negotiated a little extra royalty for Beatle Records compared to what the other three got and it wasn't taken from their royalty it was taken from EMI's cut. Yeah. got but even still It It didn't pass the smell test. It
1: didn't pass the smell test.
0: And uh, this was part of a culmination of many lawsuits that they'd had that did go back to the 31st of December 1970. So they'd been in litigation with each other in some form or another uh, for the better part of 19 years And the documents that led to a final settlement uh, were on the 7th of November 1989. And if you think about the late 80s, the Beatles go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Paul doesn't turn up because there's a legal legal issue. And he doesn't turn up to the When We Was Fab issue and he says the legal problem is an issue. And uh, if you go to the Bible of all these things, Peter Doggett's book, You Never Give Me Your Money, you know, he talks about how, you know, the uh, the legal costs were threatening to outstrip their potential earnings. And, uh, you know, the McCartney override was a key sticking issue. Uh, the Beatles eventually settled, signing on the 7th of November 1989. And the terms were kept secret, but the, the two main things that came to pass was that the Beatles all got the same royalty rate. They were all mm-hmm. bumped up bump to meet up. the McCartney override. Uh, but also that Apple and the four owners of Apple George Paul Ringo and the estate of John slash Yoko Apple had a say over whatever Beatles projects were to come out which is key Yes, because there'd been some argument about uh, you know whether Apple was an active business or agency or not and this lawsuit says no 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 now we really really are uh, you know, in charge of, of, yes. of claiming for all of this. And this things. is
1: the point where Apple Records starts looking at reissue programs and yep. uh, to sort of bolster that notion.
0: Yes. Well, the other lawsuit that's kind of happening at the same time and, and tips over into the 90s is when the Beatles are suing Ap- Apple, the, the Beatles Corporation is suing Apple computers yes. because of a previous agreement that they'd had that Apple computers wouldn't get involved in the music business. And very n- once again, uh, Neil Aspinall dog with a bone yeah. won't let it go uh, says no, 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 no if Apple in the late 80s were putting music chips into yep. their computers and obviously anybody buying a computer that time was like am I buying a Beatles record or am I buying it's a computer? I'm unclear. totally confused. It really couldn't, uh, couldn't say but what Aspinall managed to do was to get about 25 odd million in settlement from Apple computers for this break down yep. an agreement that they wouldn't go into the music business uh, and that was essentially a kind of a seed capital almost for, for, for what was to come for yeah. what was to come Apple now had a big lump sum in the bank from Apple computers they had the Beatles all settled their agreements with EMI they were all under the one umbrella of this Apple organisation in order to make it happen but even still you could still say in 89, 90 uh, you know, George wasn't on board and no. I recall first hearing about this project when Paul was on his 89-90 tour and he would say, oh, we'd love to make a documentary yep. and we'd love to do a little bit of music for it and all the rest and I'd like, oh, that'd be interesting um, and George was being quite nasty, wasn't he? He was. What was he, he, was. he saying?
1: Well, <laughs> he he. he, he always took the view that oh well if Paul is looking for some publicity for something for a new record or a tour he will say oh you know we could get back together we could do something and he this is the point in 89 is where, where Harrison says famously as far as I'm concerned there won't be a Beatles reunion as John Lennon as long as John Lennon remains dead.
0: Yes and he's also saying things George like well he didn't want to write with me back then why does he want to write with me now and yes
1: that w- that was that was it he's left it a bit late that's all I can yeah. say you <laughs> yes. know so uh, I, I, again this is Paul saying, "Oh, it'd be great to 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 write something with, yeah. uh, with 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 George."
0: And I think at this point, well, George's stock is high at this point, and he's done the Wilburys and he knows what a collaborative group is like. Yeah, so he, he's not totally yeah, saying that in a vacuum. He,
1: no, I mean he's 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 coming off the back of uh, Clyde Nine. He's had an American number one single. He's he's in the a super group with Bob Dylan uh, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, he, he doesn't need this
0: so the second thing that kind of kicks in though in 91 is George's financial situation yes so tell us okay. what goes on well George uh,
1: had become involved uh, in a sort of well-known story about handmade films, and this was formed to to really to finance uh, the Life Monty Python, Life of Brian. Um, it sort of then went on. It gathered a pace. It became a very successful uh, sort of British independent film uh, uh, film company. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good documentary. Uh, Accidental Studio came out last year. Uh, I recommend you have people go and check that out. Um, so it had, a, it had a lot of success, mm. but then it had some failures. Mm. And uh, I suppose the one that everyone knows about is Shanghai Surprise. Yes. Uh, which there is, were some other movies that I'd never
0: heard of that came out in the late 80s. There,
1: okay. there, there were quite a few movies that came out. What, what it seemed to do was it started off, it made Life of Brian, then it was involved in things like uh, Time Bandits. Then the Pythons moved away Uh, and the reason why they moved away was because they didn't entirely trust uh, Dennis O'Brien.
0: So Dennis O'Brien is George's partner in Henry.
1: Yes and he was essentially George's manager to all intents and purposes. So after Klein exits, George suddenly discovers he's got a tax bill that Klein hasn't been paying the tax. Dennis O'Brien comes in and sorts out George's tax problems and as the facilitator of this, uh, sorting out this problem, he really has George's trust. So he and George are now involved in handmade films, everything is going swimmingly, until suddenly uh, the ambition that O'Brien has seems to sort of outstrip Uh, the ability uh, to deliver, he starts getting involved or trying to involve himself in creative decisions rather than just on the financial side. The whole thing starts to unravel. George suddenly finds that the way this company has been geared or has been structured, Hmm. he is getting sort of 50% of the profit, but is responsible for 100%. Of the risk. The risk. Mm. So O'Brien, through a very complicated web of, of sort of companies and offshore trusts, et cetera, the very thing that the Pythons were suspicious about, um, has managed to, to sort of get George into the position that he's sort of down to his last few million. His house is at risk. Uh, he's 25 million is, is the figure that's being bandied about, and he ends up, uh, suing Dennis O'Brien um, yeah. uh, Dogger I think will say in his book uh, you know George is basically told you are on the verge of bankruptcy here yes. you need to do something to sort this out um, George's instinct is just to sort of do nothing and not get involved he he uh, this reports of him just phoning up the entire and sacking everyone.
0: Yeah, he rings up Handmaid yeah, apparently and says you all sacked. close it down, and then yeah.
1: tries to. But then suddenly realizes, well, that, that's not good enough. Yeah. You know, there, there is still this debt, so he he's embarking on these uh, lawsuits against Dennis Brown. He is successful at the end of the day. He, he gets puts
0: a lawsuit out for twenty-five million dollars, and I think gets an eleven point six million yeah. dollar settlement. But how much of that money he ever
1: actually? Well, gets? this is the thing. Actually, collecting uh, uh, on that is difficult, yeah. and you, you know, this is the sort of sad aspect of the last. Sort of years of George's life are spent chasing down you know he loses uh, he's terribly ill and he can't attend a court, so therefore he loses uh, 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 that court battle and uh, simply because he's too sick to attend yes. so it, 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 but anyway the, the the key thing here in around uh, ninety one ninety two is cash um, flow
0: basically cash flow. And he's got, uh, you know, the first thing he tries to do is he goes out on tour with Eric Clapton in Japan. Yes. With a notion that this might be a fully yep. fledged U.S. tour, but he's like, no, not doing yeah. that.
1: Uh, he he says, you know, he he quite likes, he quite like, quite enjoyed it, but I think he just did not have the appetite in the context of what the Beatles had to go through, what he went through in 74 on his U.S. tour. Yes. He, he doesn't have the appetite for that.
0: And so eventually realizing he's on the verge of bankruptcy in 1992, he... Has to be friends with Paul. More or less. He starts yeah. to succumb to the notion because 1992 is when formally the production of the Beatles anthology starts. We start yes. to get interviews uh, being recorded and clips being laid down. You know, we're still a while off from Free as a Bird and all that kind of stuff. But 1992 is when it goes into a very tangible form of yes. production.
1: And, and that's the period at which, uh, as you say, George and Paul start to affect uh, a, a reconciliation yes. you know, they've, they've, they've got a working relationship again
0: they meet in California at some point uh, in 1992
1: th- don't they yes sort of in December 1992 they they, they, they meet and then uh, the next the very next day uh, <laughs> uh, in December <laughs> Mac- McCartney is as a press conference for his world tour and he's saying we are intending the Beatles are back uh, there's, got, there's going to be a musical reunion yes. and at this stage it's, it's it's sort of talk about incidental music for the film and that sort of thing yeah on this occasion Harrison says nothing you know so previously Harrison's he's been slapping Paul down and knocking that back and saying this isn't happening and really Paul needs to wind his neck and here nothing so he just Paul is
0: and then in 93 Paul puts out off the ground and he's doing bits of touring as well in 93 and he's again going into that mode of yeah we're going to do this documentary he knows in 93 when he's touring and talking to the media that it's definitely happening
1: yes I mean at the, by this stage uh, the middle of 92 th- those interviews that appear in an Anthology with Jules Holland yes uh, he's already he's already doing those in, yes. in mid 92 so by, by by the back end of 92 it's well, in, well it's on a real end. thing yeah it's a real thing
0: and the third thing I mentioned that kind of happens is that there's kind of a general People are just getting old in the in the uh, you know in the late eighties early nineties. Ringo sobers up in eighty nine, yeah. gets back on the road, gets a bit of clarity in his life, gets a bit of direction in his life. Um, Paul and Yoko have a reproachment yes. over uh, you know uh, Paul. There's these very odd nineteen ninety gigs in celebration of John Lennon, and Paul appears at one of them, and he does give peace a chance, and Yoko is very touched by this, and it kind of opens doors. Sean Lennon appears on stage with Julian Lennon. Yeah. Um, uh, which, you know, is, is obviously a big deal. And uh, d- at some point, Yoko and Sean visit Paul uh, and the family in the farm, Yeah, that early is, 90s some point.
1: This is, yes, yes, uh, and and actually record. Uh,
0: Hiroshima, Hiroshima, Hiroshima. Hiroshima sky is always blue. blue. Uh-huh. So so there's, there's, whether it's, you know, uh, I don't want to say it's not sincere, but it's obviously there to facilitate a trial of understanding to, to to get things further along.
1: I think I think what you can, uh, yeah. I, I, I think my take on it is that they're they're working together. Yeah, they, they kind of they've they've got this litigation out of the way in eighty yeah. nine. and uh, the first couple of years of the nineties, they are they're. they're coming to an accommodation yes, um, and I think you're absolutely right to say that there is clearly an appreciation at this stage that there is a legacy there is, there is a, a history, there's a story to be told and the other thing to bear in mind is the number of books that are being written about the Beatles yeah. by other people yeah. Uh well, the
0: Albert Goldman book was a, yeah. a, a thing that brought Yoko and Paul together.
1: Exactly. So other people are writing books. Other people are, anyone that has ever met the Beatles, that yeah. has ever kind of, you know, made them a sandwich, uh, is <laughs> writing, cut their hair, is yeah. is, is, is writing a book. Um, so I think the notion that, that uh, one, we have a story, our story yes. to tell. And secondly, if people are going to make money off this, we should be making money off yes, this. Because for all of them, Paul and George in particular, I think it, there is always that background. The merchandising in the 60s, the money that got away. Uh, that That is a rankle still, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. So that's how we get from 1968 to 1992. All the ducks are finally in a row for the Beatles anthology to become a very real, tangible thing. The legal... Rows are settled. Uh, Paul, George, Ringo, and Yoko have a way of communicating through business and through legalities. Uh, there's financial needs on some parts, there's the need to reclaim glory and legacy on others. But by 1992, the cameras roll on what will eventually become the Beatles anthology when it comes out in 1995. But we're going to talk about that some other time. We're going to scatter a couple of Beatles anthology at 25 episodes uh, throughout 2020. And so we're going to look at the shows and the music and the legacy and all those issues in, in, in future podcasts. Uh, but for now, uh, that has been the road to anthology. We remain available in the usual places. We're on Twitter at Beatles Pod. We have a Facebook group. So go on to Facebook, look for the Nothing Is Real group and ask to join and um subscribe and download wherever you are leave us a nice review if you can or just get in touch any way you want Uh, but for now I'm Jason Carty I'm Stephen Cockcroft and this has been Nothing Is Real thanks for listening This podcast is powered by ACAST Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST+, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.